Okay. Hey, everybody. I can't see you, but you can see me. How's everybody doing out there? So glad you're at Connect Church today. We're going to start over, and hopefully you guys got that. Um, how's everybody doing out there? Everybody good? Listen, um, everybody got enough toilet paper? Okay, we all need toilet paper right now. I had a friend, he sent me a message, and uh, the message was basically, you know that stash of, like, uh, napkins from the fast food restaurants that you stuff in your glove compartment? Well, it's about time for that to shine. Come on, everybody. Because we're running out. We're running out. We all need a little levity, right, in all this crazy and all this chaos. And so before we get going, I just want to welcome all of our online viewers. I want to welcome our Framingham location our Ashland location, our online campus, and all those of you that watch from all over the place, we are so glad that you're with us today. In fact, I'm extremely grateful for technology. Like, what would we do without technology? This has, like, changed the game for us. Couldn't have come at a better time because these are such unprecedented times, and they require, listen, they require the Church of Jesus Christ to come alive. And and, I heard a a quote by A.W. Tozer said, when the world is scared... The church must be fearless. Can I have a better amen out there? All you in your homes, let's give God a big amen. Come on, we need to be fearless in a time like this. And so I want to encourage you to be spiritually ready. That means like prayerful. This is a season to be prayerful. I want to encourage you to be emotionally ready. That means we're not reactive, we're proactive. We're looking for opportunities, not problems. Can I have an amen? We're relationally ready. We're looking for ways to stay connected when there is a a season of like disconnect. We got to figure out ways to remain connected in a time like this. And I'm speaking to our church specifically on this one. We need to be financially ready. This isn't a time to live in scarcity. This is a time actually to sow and to give and be faithful to that. For many of you, your online giving is already a part of your worship. This may be the best time for you to entertain and consider and be invited into that process. And Lastly, I want to encourage you to be physically ready. This is a time for the church to serve our community. And so while we may be low touch, you know, in one respect, we need to be high touch in another respect. While we stay connected as a church community, we need to be touching our community in a powerful way. I understand the, yes, come on, amen. I understand the importance of social distancing, but we cannot be relationally distant from people. We should be calling people. We should be uh, praying for people on the phone that are uh, suffering in any way, shape, or form from loss of income to uh, maybe there's some sickness or calling an elderly person and seeing if you can run errands for them. This is a time for the church to come alive. And I want to I wanna encourage you in that way. Amen. I want you to stay connected, too, uh, not only online, and I'm so grateful. I hope some of you are in homes watching this right now with your families and maybe loved ones, and some of you are even doing that as small groups in our community, and I'm grateful for that. We need to continue that, so stay tuned for more information in the coming days on how we can stay connected better uh, physically, but also online. And then lastly, I want to say stay plugged in because we have um, on our website, weconnect.cc, slash coronavirus. We'll have updates, resources, encouragement, and information on what we can do to serve each other better. Amen? Amen. I know that our church is going to shine in this time. I'm very confident about that. And I'm really proud to be your pastor. I'm really grateful that I pastor a church like this because we don't back down. We don't step back. We rise up and we consider this as an opportunity for us to shine. And uh, lastly, um, I said lastly a second ago, but I'm going to say lastly again. For my second closing... 
We're going to go on Facebook Live right after this. So some of the things I'm going to address are going to be on a heart and spiritual level, but you might have practical questions or other questions right after this. And in every service, we're going to have a Facebook Live experience. And after the third service today, we will have a kind of prayer in the parking lot. We're going to have prayer in two locations. If you go on social media, you can see where they are, but one of them is going to be in our Ashland location, another one in Cushing Hospital, and that'll be right after the third service. Come with us in an open-air meeting. We'll have a little bit of distance between each other, but we're going, to, we're going to close the distance between heaven and earth and be able to see God do miracles in our area as we pray on the National Day of Prayer. Come on, that's a big thing that the president has put out in front of us, and we're so grateful to be able to pray together. Well, you can get your, your, your Bibles out. Um, if, you're, if you're one that has a digital Bible, I want to encourage you to go to Version. And if you go under live events, you're going to be able to see the notes for this message right in there. And some of the note, message notes will come up on the screen. I want to talk to you today uh, uh, about a message that would be of no surprise to anybody. In fact, you would expect me as a preacher to say what I'm about to say. Do not be afraid. You would expect that. You would assume that, right? I mean, everybody would say that in the midst of this, if you're a preacher and if you're a pastor, you'd say, do not be afraid. But is it even possible to decide not to be afraid? And I would say to you, and I'm going to prove to you, yes, it is possible to decide not to be afraid. In fact, actually, if we can see something right and we can learn to say something right, we can get things right in here in our hearts, and actually we can see things better out here in our lives. And we're going to talk about how to not be afraid. Several times in Scripture, uh, Jesus gave his followers, his then followers, these statements, these do not do statements. Um, there's like four or five of them in the Bible, but I'm going to highlight one of those that he said. He would say, you know, he'd make these like do not worry, do not judge. But he had this one statement that he used the most. And he said, do not be afraid, or one, if you're King James, come on somebody, all you old school, thou shalt not fear. It's kind of like, thou shalt not fear, okay? And when you hear that amidst what we're dealing with right now, you're like, what? I mean, how can I not be afraid? Let alone, you know, this idea of do not be afraid, it's how can I not be afraid? And when someone also tells me, to not do something. There's another part of me that's in my nature that wants to kind of like bow up and say, don't tell me what to do. You know, that's part of us. It's my life. I can do what I want. But, but Jesus' favorite command was, do not be afraid. And, and he said it over and over again. In fact, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 16, it's not in your notes, I don't think, but it says this. It says, I'm sending you out. This is what he said to his disciples, early followers. I'm sending you out like sheep amongst wolves. Exciting. Can't wait for that assignment. And then he goes on to list all these difficulties that they're going to face. And then in verse 28, this is in your notes and it's on you version. Verse 28, it says, he, him, Jesus speaking, do not be afraid of those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body. So, Jesus, are we supposed to be afraid or are we not supposed to be afraid? Because you're saying do not be afraid and then you're saying rather be afraid. I'm kind of confused. Like, what are you talking about right here? And so let me try to unpack this. In verse 29 and 31, he says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? It's pretty cheap back then. Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside of your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head, in my case, I don't know what he thinks, but even the very hairs of your head are numbered. And then in verse 31, he says, So do not be afraid. Everybody say, Do not be afraid. Because you're worth more than those sparrows. 
You're incredibly valuable to him. Now, two chapters before, Matthew chapter 8, they, the, the, the followers of Jesus had this experience that really is why this lesson he's talking about in Matthew 10 pops for them. In Matthew chapter 8, Jesus is super, I think he's kind of a little tired because he's, 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 he's fully God and fully man, and he decides to escape a crowd. I know what that feels like. You just, there's, there's a certain excitement in an environment like this, and there's a certain drain that comes from it as well. In Matthew 8.23, it says, Then he, Jesus, got in a boat. Everybody say, got into a boat. Remember that. And his disciples followed him. Okay, So they head out into a lake, which is interestingly enough called the Sea of Galilee. And I'm not going to try to explain that today, but anyway. And it says, suddenly this furious storm comes up in verse 23 and 24. They get into a boat, his disciples follow him, and a furious, not a little storm, not a squall, we're talking a furious storm. Now, some of you can have a picture right now what that might be like. And it says the waves swept over the boat, water's filling up the boat, and check this out. What was Jesus doing? He was sleeping. He was sleeping. And see, many of you right now as I'm speaking, figuratively or literally, you feel like there's a major storm all around you. And waves are crashing all around you. You're in a boat and it is about to sink. You feel like you're being overwhelmed. I don't know if you've ever had a, a, a terrorizing experience in some other way or other season of your life where maybe you've been on a flight and it was a bad flight. Maybe there was a lightning storm and you felt those crazy dips and they tell you to buckle up because it's about to get crazy here. Or maybe for some of you like in other parts of the country today in Tennessee where there's been tornadoes that just kind of were sweeping through your area and you had to lock down and get in a bath tub and put a mattress over you whatever it is a sudden sickness even a sudden death it's in those experiences that we have this phrase you know i was scared to death right isn't that interesting that we use that phrase i'll come back to that later but that's how the disciples in this boat were feeling on this day they were feeling like scared to death and in that moment jesus was asleep now, don't write this down because I don't. this could be heresy according to Pastor Derek, but I believe that Jesus wasn't really sleeping. I think he was like one of those pretend parent moments. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like when all the kids are running around and you just want to get a little bit of shut eye and you can't really sleep because there's chaos all around you, but you want to see how the kids are going to behave while you're asleep and so you kind of close your eyes. So I think Jesus is kind of aware of what's going on right now, even though he's sleeping right now. But during this particular time in this, in this story, I think it can apply to us in our story right now. I think some of us in these types of situations, because we see a God who we need who is sleeping, we left the faith. And for some reason you're watching online today, it does, I don't know why, but it's, it's, maybe it's a God thing. You, you, you left the faith because it seems like when you needed Jesus most, he was asleep. Some of you haven't left the faith, but you stopped living by faith. Because when you were having a difficult time, because of a major problem, major trauma, a major difficulty that was happening in your life, seemingly Jesus was asleep, and so you quit. You resigned. You stopped living by faith, and you walked away. And so I'm inviting you back. Wherever you are in your spiritual walk, maybe you are far from God, I'm inviting you back into relationship with him. If you stop believing and trusting God and having faith in God and having faith over fear, I'm inviting you back today because the people that were writing this story to us, 
These disciples that recorded this for us, they thought their whole world was, was collapsing around them, that they, they thought that they were drowning. They, they couldn't imagine, you know, a worse situation. Not only did they imagine their God was asleep, listen, he actually was. He actually was asleep. It's tracking with me, everybody. In verse 25 and 26, here's what happened. It says, then the disciples went and they woke up Jesus and they prayed the ultimate prayer that we all have prayed at one time. Lord, save me. It's like the easy, nobody needs to be taught to pray that prayer, right? It says, we're going to drown. And his reply was, you have little faith. Why are you so afraid? And I think this is so relevant today. I think it's incredibly relevant today. Maybe, maybe one of them in the middle thought, uh, permission to speak freely? Uh, God, I don't know if you realize this, but when a furious storm comes up and when water starts coming up over the bow of the boat and when the boat's going down, uh, naturally <laughs> we get afraid. So I'm confused right now. You're tell That's a crazy thing to say to us. And I think there are many of us today in our faith, we're thinking the same thing. Yeah, PD, I understand your opener. I understand the nature of this message is to not be afraid. But do you see what's going on around us today? Are you paying attention? Are you alert? Are you awake? It's pandemic, pastor. People are dying. The world the world is affected by this virus. Uh, there's no vaccine. Um, and I want to say this. I hear you, but, but check this out. Verse 26 and 27. Then he, Jesus, got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed, astonished, as it were. They said, what kind of man could this be? Even the winds and the waves, and we can insert here sickness and disease and viruses and all manner of human malady, they have to obey the words of God. And I want to remind you that all these things, they fall subject to the ultimate authority that is God. He, how, why did this happen? How does Because he's God and you're not. And he's amazing, and we're not. I'm not. But check this out. This is so cool. Um, I won't unpack this and go there right now, but just trust me on this. In the book of Mark, there's these synoptic gospels where the story is told again, and sometimes there's these little, little extras there. But when it talks about this story, when they were afraid, the Greeks' words say they feared a greater fear. So in other words, they feared the storm, but then when Jesus calmed the storm, the word says in the original language, they feared, but now they feared an even greater fear. Check this out. This is important. They were afraid of the storm, and then Jesus does a miracle, and now they're thinking, okay, it's not just what's happening outside of the boat, but who's in the boat? Uh, the wind and the waves just stopped. The, the storm just calmed, at, at the, at the, and they were subject to his words. And suddenly, I think they started to put some things together that I hope you're putting together. Maybe our moms growing up were wrong. They'd say things like, um, don't be afraid. There's nothing to be afraid of, honey. Well, maybe there are things to be afraid of. That's not the solution, mom. The solution is there's things to be afraid of, but there's a greater fear that makes all the other fears subordinate to that fear. And that's what God is trying to teach us through this lesson. Perhaps we've been afraid of the wrong thing all along. Perhaps we fight fear with the fear of God. So back to the story in the beginning, he says in verse 16, Matthew 10, don't fear the one that can kill the body. Remember that? But 
can hurt the soul. Don't fear the, the one thing. The, don't fear the storm. Don't fear the disease. Don't fear the bad report. Don't fear this, what the CDC says. Don't fear what the virus effects are. All that can just destroy the body. Instead, fear and reverence the one who controls ultimate destiny, who controls your soul over your body. Come on, somebody. They feared an even greater fear. So here's my first point of a two-point message. Write this down. It's major. Do not be afraid. I want you to remember that today as you reflect on the word. A few chapters later in Matthew 14, Jesus uh, and the disciples had just done this crazy thing. They fed 5,000 people. And there was multiple examples of this. And in verse 22, once again, funny enough, Jesus is kind of getting, he wants to get away. So immediately it says, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat. Now remember the first story? It says, Jesus got in the boat and the disciples followed him. Well, this time it says, he made them get in the boat. You know why? Because they'd had some experience with him in the boat before. And they thought, uh, the way things went last time, I'm not that excited about getting in the boat. So I think Jesus says, guys, get in the boat. Peter, Peter's out there. No, no, God, I'll push. I'll push him out because he's reluctant to get in the boat. Jesus is trying to push, and G Peter's bucking him. Get in the boat. Get in the boat. No, no, G I got it, I got it. And so Jesus is about, about ankle deep, and he's pushing, and, and, and then he's about knee deep, and then he's about waist deep, and then he's like, guys, see you later. They're like, what, what, what? And he's not getting in the boat with them. And he says, I want you to row on to the other side. And he leaves them, and he says, I'm going to go, and I'm going to dismiss the crowd. In verse 23, it says, and after he had dismissed the crowd, by the way, with no bodyguards and no help, I don't understand how he did that, um, but he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat now is a considerable distance away from land, and it's being buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Now, this time, it's not a furious storm. This time, they're facing a headwind, and they're trying to row against this headwind, and they're rowing hour after hour. Why? Because Jesus told them to go to the other side, and they're rowing, and they're going nowhere. They're rowing, and they're going nowhere, and it's literally just all through the night, and this is the first time we see a rowing machine ever show up as exercise equipment, Okay? And they're tired, and it's dark, and it's cold. And then in, in verse 25, it says, Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. Hello! And when the disciples saw him on the lake, they were what? Terrified! It's a ghost, they said. And they cried out in fear. They feared a great fear. But Jesus immediately had said to them, he said, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. I think Jesus is like, you did it again. You got afraid again. <clears throat> Failure. You guys, you guys got afraid again. Guys, I'm trying to teach you something that you haven't quite learned. I'm trying to instruct you that what your mama said was wrong. There are things to fear, but there's a greater fear than that fear. And I'm trying to tell you, do not be afraid because of that greater fear. You don't have to be afraid. So let's get this straight. I think they're saying to Jesus, okay, you weren't with us, but you were watching us the whole time? Um, and Jesus is like, yeah, because one day I'm, I'm not going to be with you. I'm not going to be in the person, be here in person. And, and, but I'm going to be watching. But I'm going to be watching you. And just like you didn't need to be afraid when I was in the boat asleep, you don't need to be afraid when I'm outside the boat with you. In either case, 
I can help you overcome your greatest fears. Either way, you do not need to be afraid when there is something to be afraid of. Here's the lesson. and Write this down in your notes. Do not be afraid even when there's something to fear. This is his response to all of our fears. Here's the deal. Here's the deal that blows my mind, when, even though that's all so awesome. And I think this is true of us. They didn't learn the lesson. Uh, right up to the very end of Jesus' life, even after he'd done all these crazy miracles and he healed, healed lepers and blind people and deaf people and raised the dead, these guys who saw, stopped storms, these guys didn't stand up for Jesus at the end. They ran with their tail between their legs. They lied, they denied, they hid. They were scared to death before Jesus died. They did not fear not. They gave in to fear. They saw all these amazing things, but, everybody say but, but after Jesus died and rose, those same people were now fearless. So, so what happened? What's so cool about that? What made the difference wasn't another lesson or boat ride. It wasn't another campfire story from Jesus. It wasn't another you know, go, go out and into the deep and I'm going to tell you something deep. No, it was they saw a resurrected Savior. And once Jesus rose from the dead, once he did what he said he did, they became fearless. Let me unpack this more because the ultimate enemy of, that drives all of our greatest fears, listen, the ultimate enemy that drives all our greatest fears is the fear of death. And once you overcome the fear of death, all other fears must subordinate themselves. When you lose, this is your second lesson, write it down. When you lose your fear of death, you will fear not. Real Christians don't fear death. Real Christians don't fear death. So listen, I don't know where you are. I don't know where you, I don't know where you are today. I don't know where you are in your journey. Are you afraid of death? That's an important thing to reconcile. And Jesus made a way for you to reconcile that. See, on seeing the resurrected Savior, they, if they hadn't, they could not have done this. But because they did, they could. The early followers of Jesus overcame their greatest fears and all other fears had to bend their knee. When you Think about this. When you stake your eternity on that, eternity on that, that Jesus Christ really died for your sins, that he was buried and rose again, that he was seen and that the resurrection life was real and available and he offers you that resurrection life. Uh, your fear of death begins to evaporate and once that happens, you fear not. Then you don't fear that which can harm the body and instead you only reverence the one who controls your soul. This is how to deal with your greatest fears when eternity is clear. You deal with great fear when eternity is clear. And so, so here's what I want to encourage you, okay? Um, this particular time in our life, um, we, need, we need to make sure things are right here. God wants to reconcile you back to himself. And so in order for you to overcome your greatest fears, I think you need to invite Jesus into your boat. See, if you feel like there's a storm all around you, if you feel like there's all kinds of difficulties happening around you, we need to invite Jesus into our boat. And so uh, my second point is this. God wants to protect you. He wants to protect your soul, but he also wants to protect you physically as well. Uh, I want to remind you of something before we get to the protection that happens in the natural here. But I want, you to, I want to remind you that his blood put an end to an old system of sacrifice. The old system was over and over and over again we have to sacrifice for sins. 
Now we can live with confidence that all sins, past, present, and future, are not just covered, but they're washed. Why? The protection that comes from his blood. His blood. His blood provides a protection for our eternity. It provides a better system for us, and there's power in the blood that gives us that eternal security. Now, it's not that, it's not that God will forgive you. He actually already did. But for, you to, but for you to benefit from that, you have to receive what his blood did for you. If, you. if you live with a guilty conscience, if you feel condemned, if you feel distant or disconnected from God, you can't pay it back. No. Receive what his blood paid for. Without the remission of sins, the Bible says there is, there, there is no forgiveness. But you receive it by grace. It's a gift. You receive it by faith. You believe that's what he did and that he did it for you. So think about this. Do you think your mistakes were too, are greater than his great sacrifice? This would make sense if we were offering the blood of bulls and goats. But we were, but but Jesus was the ultimate, perfect, spotless, blemishless uh, Lamb of God. That, as John the forerunner said, takes away the sins of the whole world. His blood. I don't know if you realize how powerful it is, but it crushed Satan's head and it took the keys of hell. I don't know if you realize this, but his blood forgave people because he was crucified for us. No blood is better. There's no blood that's better. We're under a new covenant. And because of Christ sheds blood, our sins are permanently taken care of. In Isaiah 43, 25, it says, I, even I am he who blots out your transgressions, your sins, for my own namesake and remembers your sins no more. So again, he doesn't just wash them away. He, he, he excuse me, he doesn't just um, cover them. He washes them. He blots them out. They're not seen anymore because of the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus didn't just cover it. It blotted out our sin. So when you receive this, you receive eternal life. And the reason sometimes that people can't move on, do you know, I'll put it like this. Do you know why there's a small mirror and a big windshield? Because God doesn't want you focused on your past. We need to be able to minimize our past and live for our future. And the blood of Jesus gets us looking through the windshield and no longer looking through the rearview mirror. That's what the blood does for you and me. Where you are going is way more important than where you came from. And the blood made that available to you and I. So this is what I want to do. I don't know where you are in your spiritual journey, but I want to give you a chance to make things right with God. I want to give you a chance to calm all the storms that are going on in your life. And the, and the biggest storm is the eternal distance from God. The greatest tragedy would be that you're not okay with him forever versus am I okay right now? See, we hold on to this life so tightly, but we need to wear it like a loose garment. Because God wants us to be with him forever, and he made a way for that to be possible. So if you're afraid, I get it. In Luke chapter 21, I think it's in verse 26, the Bible says, men's hearts will fail them for fear in the last days. But the only thing that's going to take away that internal fear is a relationship with Jesus Christ that was made possible by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And so I have a question for you. For Jesus to get into your boat and calm your storms, are you ready to invite him into your life? And so with every head bowed and every eye closed, in every home, in every car where you've pulled over off the side of the road and you're looking at your phone, 
If you're far from God, you're distant from God, you're, more importantly, you're disconnected from God, I want to pray a prayer of salvation for you. I want those storms to calm on the inside before. We're going to address the outside in a second. But you got to ask him in and accept what his blood did for you. Would you pray this prayer with me? Say, dear Jesus, today is the day of salvation for me. I invite you into my boat. I invite you into the storms that I'm facing. The things that I'm feeling right now, Lord, they surround me. But I thank you, God, that you made a way. You made it possible because of what you did. It was done for me when you died. It was done for me when you paid that debt. It was my debt. And I receive by grace through faith what your shed blood did for me. I ask you to come into my heart, to come into my life, to be my Savior and to be my Lord. Lord, to guide me on this journey that I'm on right now. And Lord, I pray that you speak to the storms of my life on the inside. And I pray that they would yield to your words. Lord, I yield myself to your word. And I know the world will yield itself to your world. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen and amen. Listen, if you just, come on, come on, somebody. If you just made that decision, make sure you tell somebody. Come on. You want to tell your neighbors. You want to tell your friends. And I'm asking you to tell us. You go right online right now and say, that was a decision I just made. I just gave my life to Jesus Christ. We want you to know we celebrate you. We want to help you on your spiritual journey. Let somebody online pray for you. Just kind of pull off into a side chat room and let us give you your next steps in your faith journey. Now, there's more. Can everybody say there's more? I want to give you one more thing. We're going to pray one more group of people. You know, centuries ago, the people of Israel, we taught this recently at Connect. They were enslaved by a pharaoh. And as you know, God used Moses. He was a type of Christ to save his people and to set them free from a world, a world system. And he, uh, that is God, brought these plagues to try to get Pharaoh to let my people go. God wants his people free. And this is an Old Testament truth that is seen and revealed and explained really in a New Testament context. But there was this final plague after many plagues. Some of you guys know this particular story. It was the most destructive and devastating one of all. The firstborn would be killed. And the firstborn not only of the families but even of the animals would be killed. But God gave his people special instructions. Turn to your neighbor and say, special instructions that we, I believe, need to continue to follow today, and I can't think of a day that they apply more than they do today. God said, when I see the blood over the doorposts, I will know that you belong to me, and I will pass over your house, and no harm will come near you. See, you can imagine at that time, under those circumstances and all that they had seen, how particular they were to the words of God and how much um, the importance of these instructions must have been. I think we need to have the same attentiveness to the instructions of God. And the Bible says that at midnight, when the death angel came through the land, wherever he saw the blood, he passed over and they were protected because of the blood that was on the door. I want to ask you something. I want to ask you, fathers of households and mothers and singles and elderly that are out there, do you still believe in the power of the blood? See, have you put, more importantly, this blood on your door? See, your door is your location, your situation, your circumstance 
your address. In a New Testament context, it's not ex- applied the exact same way. It's the pattern is there, but the practice is different. How we do it is a little bit different. We don't have to do it physically. We don't have to have the shedding of blood from an animal because Jesus was the once and for all sacrifice. His shed blood was provided for you and me. We're under a new covenant, but the principle is still the same. And so when you accepted the blood of Christ, as many of you just did a few moments ago, you received salvation. But when you apply the blood of Jesus Christ, you receive protection. That's our second point. You receive protection. And when you do this, the Bible says, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. And so there's no bloodline that the enemy cannot cross except the bloodline of Jesus Christ. If the blood of an animal could have kept them safe back in that day, how much more the blood of Jesus can keep you safe in the day in which we live today? By faith, you need to say, I put the blood... I put the blood on my family. I put the blood on my children. I put the blood on my body. I put the blood on the doorposts of my home, of my businesses, of my house of worship, all around us. When you're covered by the blood of Jesus, the enemy doesn't have a choice. He has to pass over. I'm saying nothing can happen without God's permission, but because of the blood, you receive a hedge of protection. So maybe sickness was heading your way, but because the blood was there, it had to go another way. Maybe there was an accident that was coming your way. Maybe the death angel was trying to pass over and take your life, but because of the blood, it had to pass over in Jesus' name. Maybe there was trouble that was coming your way, bad habits, addictions that were going to try to take you over while you're in isolation, but the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus put up pause and a stop payment and a cancellation to that attack of the enemy. My daddy taught me something here that I want to do with you. And I want every head of household and and every person that's there by themselves, I want you to do what my daddy did right now. I want you to get your families together. I want you to get, I want you, if, if you're comfortable, I want you to get close. And I want you to put your hand, if you're by yourself, you just put your hand on your head. If you're a head of household, I want you to go around. I want you to lay your hands on your children and on your spouse. And I want you to plead the blood of Jesus over them. You know, back years ago, there was this woman, Rahab, and in order for the spies and the Israelites not to destroy her because they were coming, they instructed her that she would be saved if she put a scarlet cord outside her home and let it hung around the, all the way down to the ground. And when they saw the scarlet cord representing the blood of Jesus Christ, she would be protected. And she got everybody that she loved, family and friends inside that house. And when the attack came, because they were inside the, the, that home, underneath the scarlet cord, everybody was protected. I'm going to pray a prayer of protection for you. And I want you to just agree with me. Everybody, wherever you are, I want you to agree with me in prayer as I pray for you. Father, I plead the blood of Jesus over every single person that was within the sound of my voice. I thank you, Lord God, that your protection was made available. We're all underneath the scarlet cord. We're all inside the doors, and the blood has been applied to the doorpost and to the lentils. Lord, we believe in the protection that comes from the blood, not only in our eternal security, God, but also in our earthly protection in Jesus' name. I plead the blood over every house, over every home, over every person, over every family in Jesus' name. Keep them from harm, injury, accident, sickness, disease, virus. You are the 
ultimate vaccine. You are the ultimate prescription. And we place our trust and hope in Jesus' blood, in Jesus' name. And everybody in the church said, all over the place, amen and amen and amen. I love you guys. And I can't wait to be with you in person real soon.